Hey y'all, welcome to Geeking Out, the podcast about all geeky aspects of software delivery, DevOps, observability, reliability, and everything in between. I'm your host, Adriana Villela, coming to you from Toronto, Canada. And geeking out with me today is Nayana Shetty from the Lego Group. Welcome, Nayana. Hi, Adriana. Uh, and um, I'm excited to be here. And it's going to be interesting to see what we uncover over the next half an hour or so. Yes, absolutely. I am super stoked um, because I always love talking to fellow women in tech. And also you work at Lego, which <laughs> so iconic, <laughs> such an iconic product. So I mean, there's not been one person where uh, I've introduced myself and said that I work for the Lego group and that's not bought smile on them. There's not been one. <laughs> I think it's the best place to work at that way. <laughs> I can totally imagine. Well, before we we dig into that, I've got some lightning round questions to ask you. Um, they will be quick and painless. Okay, let's try. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? <laughs> let's go. Okay. First question. Are you a lefty or a righty? Righty. All right. Um, do you prefer iPhone or Android? Uh, iPhone any day. I don't know how the Android works anymore. Fair enough. Uh, do you prefer Mac, Linux, or Windows? Uh, Mac for most of my day-to-day -day work, but if it's actual tech work, Linux any day. I, I hear that a lot, actually. Very cool. Very cool. Um, what is your favorite programming language? Python. Ooh, me too. <laughs> I've done Python for a few years now, and like I don't write in Python anymore because I'm mostly in like uh, marketing and. Uh, channels technology area where it's more about um, uh, providing services for marketing use cases and there's not a lot of Python there but uh, yeah my love is always for Python. I, I feel yeah yeah I, I always tell people like it's I'm happy when I code in Python. <laughs> I'm like ee, best language ever. <laughs> yeah, it's so much more easier than like callbacks and JavaScript. Oh my god. Yes, yes. Yeah, I I'm I'm sorry to people who like JavaScript. I just I don't get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. So true. Okay. Next question. Uh do you prefer dev or ops? Ooh. Can I go DevOps? Uh, yeah, that is a perfectly valid answer. <laughs> a lot of people have answered that, totally. Yeah. Um, next question, JSON or YAML? JSON, anything. Mm, interesting. I, I always find it funny when people who are Python lovers say JSON because like you're already forced to indent, like you get bitten by the indentation bug in Python anyway. So that's kind of, that's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I just added this one today because it came up in another recording that I did. Spaces mm. or tabs? Oh, <laughs> um, spaces, I think. Less confusing than tabs. Uh, like when you have spaces and tabs, it's confusing. So just keep it simple. Just do one thing. Spaces. Yeah, I totally feel you. <laughs> I'm curious after I start asking this question more regularly, like what other people are going to respond. So mm. thank you for being my first respondent to the spaces versus tabs question. <laughs> um, two more questions. Do you prefer to consume content through video or text? Video. Oh, interesting. I, I learn a lot by seeing and yeah. uh, listening rather than just reading. So yeah, I think my... My preferred option is uh, videos and yeah, second option nice. is listening. 
And then the third option is reading. Right, right. It, that's so interesting because I think you're like the first person in a while who said videos. So ah, one tick for the video camp. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and final question, what is your superpower? Oh, uh, what is my superpower? I think being extremely structured, that's my superpower. Um, I can convert any problem into like logical steps and say, this is what nice. makes that is a good superpower to have. I, I do find like whenever I'm in a position where <laughs> all the thoughts are like in disarray, like just sitting down and, and doing a list is like yeah. magical. So, yeah. I mean, that, that is like my role kind of calls for it a bit because like I kind of tell people a principal engineer's role is to go into places where you don't know anything about the topic. You go discover, find out. And then you you know, but also you got you get the rest of the organization know what what and how to move forward with. And like when you're going with so much uncertainty, if you had some structure, I think it's much more easier to work through it. Yeah, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. And it, it, you know, I I think um, I think that is probably like having having that skill set is probably the most valuable skill set for like a software engineer. Right. Yeah. Because we're constantly encountering these scenarios that we haven't encountered before. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like I've seen so many times when engineers get like as soon as they see a problem, they start digging into it and they're like, oh, I'm going to solve this with like uh, arrays or like lists. And I'm like, oh, what are you trying to do? Like step back and like just come up with a plan. And it, it doesn't have to be like something that you set in stone. Like keep it fluid, but at the same time, have a plan. Yeah, 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 it, it's true. I, I, you know, it's funny. I remember um, when I was a kid, so my my dad is like, he's a, he's a math guy, he's a software guy. Mm-hmm. And I used to like, come to him um, to ask like for help with, with math problems. Mm. And he would always, always, always bug me. He's like, do you have a plan? <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's been like permanently etched in my mind now. It's like, you need a plan of attack for solving this problem. Where is it? Yeah. You can't solve this problem without it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a story from Raleigh, uh, like from two weeks ago now, where mm-hmm. um, we do all of these planning. And then you put four people in a room and say, you've got 10 minutes and you have to solve this uh, puzzle. All that goes out of the window, though. You start thinking about, oh, how do I solve this problem? And like, and in the in the in the process, in, when this happened two weeks ago for us, we forgot that we had to collaborate with two other teams that were sitting in two other rooms. And we yeah. were like, if we had just like stepped back and come up with a plan, we would have won this challenge. So. <sighs> Yeah, so, so, so true. Um, So for all you out there, planning goes a long way. So I wanted to take a step back um, because as as we mentioned in the outset, you work for Lego Group. Mm. Uh, So, I mean, I'm super curious, like what what does it mean to work in technology at Lego Group? Because we always think of like Lego is the toy, <laughs> the the physical bricks that we put together. So what 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 does that look like? So um, there's a lot of digital transformation that's been happening over the last two years or 
to, to tiers at the Lego Group. And this means that there's technology being introduced in all sorts of places from like, um, I work in the marketing and channels technology area, which is to do with how do we um, how do we sell to shoppers on lego.com to how do we sell on Amazon and Tesco's and all of those kind of places to how do we do good marketing and like brand, like what sort of a brand, like Lego has a very strong brand image. How do we sustain it and how do we build on top of it? Like what sort of technologies can support those kind of um, brand image and like the shopping side of things. So that's with the marketing side of things, which is where I mostly work on. I do very little on the product side of things. Um, and But then there are parts of the organization that look at uh, like the kids experiences and like so we've we've split ourselves into shopper partner and consumer shopper is someone who buys from us it's mostly adults and then there's um uh, partners who are like uh, amazon and tesco those kind of uh, companies who buy from us and then mm-hmm. there's uh, um consumer which is actually kids and adults who actually play with our products and like the experience they have is very different to what you when you're buying a product should have and like how do you bring like technology closer to them like especially with so much digitization happening and lego uh bricks it's still something very physical like how do you bring technology into something so physical i think is an interesting challenge and then there's the whole um uh, operations and like the supply chain and side of things where there's the like manufacturing of the the like start with the planning of like creating the products to how you then uh, manufacture it and then how do you ship it and all of those things. Um, there's there's a lot of like investment that's gone over the last few years in like digitizing a lot of these things and like um, bringing the um, the business processes closer and like redefining some of our business processes to be more like engineering focused uh, mm-hmm. or like simplifying it so that the architecture is much more simpler and that kind of stuff has been like a massive thing over the last few years now and um, a lot of teams are like it's it's a new space for a lot of teams like when I when I joined two years ago I was so fascinated and surprised by how much you can push uh, tools like um, SharePoint and Microsoft SharePoint and Excel and uh, pa- PowerPoint to do like to run a business basically. Like I, I came from an organization where everything was digital, so for me this was like fascinating to see that mm-hmm. they're actually selling, like planning, selling, and all of those just to Excel sheets. And like now, two years down the line, we we see a lot of like. Um, digital services which are actually um, solving these for our business and yeah I think that's where uh, engineering and technology plays a very strong hand in how we move forward as the Lego group and like how how we evolve ourselves I guess. Right and so um, what, what do you think like right now are some of the most challenging problems that you're you're working on? Mm-hmm. Um, so the area I look at is um, in marketing is to do with like um, personalization and like because of the strong brand we've had as the Lego group, um, like 
we didn't have to go to the level of individual person's uh, needs and requests to actually figure out how do we um, make a difference in, the sh- in their shopping experiences until recently. And now we've pivoted to be like, it's all about that experience, like especially Gen Z and like the future generations are so much on the internet that like everything they need has to be personalized and has like there's an expectation that if you don't know me don't sell things to me that yeah. that's how i think the expectation is so um, one of the major challenge i'm working with is how do we bring uh, technology into personalization how do we collect data in a much secure way so um, like there's the whole legal and privacy aspects of collecting personal data and then how do we then translate that into um, uh, making sure that uh, we use it in a consistent way across our different uh, product teams and stuff so one of the things that we hold quite dearly uh, from our principles perspective is uh, that we follow domain driven design thinking which means that um, there's very modular, uh, clear boundaries to our product teams and there's, uh, they, they can work independently uh, to deliver the business outcomes. In the marketing space, that's actually a not so common um, concept. Like when you look at any tools that are out in the market, they're very much like they can solve it all for you in one single product. But you don't need one product for the whole thing. You you have four different product teams looking at it. So how, how do we break that like a single monolith kind of approach, which is what marketing has been in the past to much more modular domain driven kind of uh, product themes and um, product areas and stuff. So that's been one of the uh, major areas that I've been working on over the last year. The other one which has started cropping up more recently is um, like, how do we uh, do? How do we collect or gather engineering metrics? Uh, and this comes from the fact that so we've invested a lot over the last two three years in technology. We've grown quite a lot. Um, how do we know it's actually bringing us the right return on investment? Um, and like, what do we? What are the right indicators that show us that our engineering teams are working efficiently and stuff? And we need to do this in a way that's like not poking individual teams saying, oh, you're better than them because your, um, let's say, deployment frequency is five and that team's deployment, like that's not the level we should be going into. But what is it that we should be looking at more widely? So that's another uh, area that we've been exploring quite heavily uh, more recently. And I think this will be like a hot topic for the next year as well. Right, right. Now, um pulling back a little bit because you mentioned you know like you're you're a principal engineer um you touched upon you know some of the things um that you know are are within the purview of of your responsibility or the expectations as a uh as a principal engineer um what would you say is like kind of the the one thing that stuck out for you more than anything like when you when you moved into like a principal engineer role because the expectations are are vastly different from like say a junior where you're like you're just writing some code that someone told you to write. Yeah. Um, So I moved into a a principal engineer role in uh, like I was uh, uh, at the FT when uh, Financial Times, uh, when I moved into the principal engineer role. And for me at that point, it was like, 
uh, and principal engineer roles are very different across different organizations where uh, at the FT, it was a 50-50 kind of role where 50% of the time I spent on people management and like team health and that kind of stuff. And 50% of the time is what I, I thought about tech strategy and the direction we want to move in and stuff where now at the Lego group, it's very much um, the tech strategy role. It's an individual contributor role where I'm mostly thinking about the long-term direction and the guardrails that we need to uh, enable the teams on. And I think what surprises me and uh, what had surprised me, and probably it's something that anyone who comes in new to this, this role uh, will have to work with is how much hands-on experience do you want to have in this role? And it, I think it varies. And I've like in the Lego group, you've got around 15-ish uh, principal engineers and each one of us have a different version of principal engineering that we do oh, so it, cool. it's not the same role that like as as a role it's just like uh, or as a level it's the same level that all of us do have yeah and the roles that we um um like uh, cater to within the organization is subtly different based on what our strengths are i think where some people are very much into oh i'm an expert in let's say for example uh, a technology like uh, SAP. Uh, I'm an expert in SAP, so I'm going to be like um, spread, like spreading across wherever SAP expertise are needed, and I'm going to like do some hands-on like supporting or like even the strategic thinking around SAP. Where mm-hmm. um, like I, I, I'm more of a solution architect kind of principal engineer, where I I do very little hands-on. Like I do hands-on just so that I. I remember and stay true to the title of engineer but my role itself doesn't want me or like it doesn't need me to actually do a lot of hands-on like coding and that kind of stuff so I think that's that's something that surprised me thinking oh I thought principal engineer is going to be like the smartest engineer in the in the room which is not true you don't have (laughs) I'm not that. Uh, I kind of see myself as a person who can glue the right people together so we reach, we reach that best outcome possible for the organization. Right, right. And and that is like such an important skill. I mean, it's not necessarily about having the answers. It's knowing the people who have the answers yeah. and putting them together. Exactly. It's really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, so I kind of see myself like doing the glue work, like, I, I say principal engineers are the glue across the organization, breaking some of those silos and barriers across organizational constraints and stuff. That That's what a principal engineer should be looking at. And then the, the other thing is, like, we're also part of leadership teams. So I'm part of the marketing and channels technology leadership team. So what sort of engineering culture do I want to, like, um, help the organization um get uh, get behind and that kind of stuff and being um being like a positive influence on it i mean given my role i work very closely with engineers on a day-to-day basis so i hear a lot like just on the ground kind of i wish they had this i wish we had done that so just hearing those things and like when there's enough of those wishes that you hear you're like okay can we like positively positively influence it and that that's i think something that a principal engineer kind of plays a key role in bringing that people's voice into like uh, spaces where there's just leadership uh, leaders in a room and stuff. And like, how do you then create an inf- like change because of 
what you know and what you're surrounded by and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it's interesting because I, I think like having having your ear to the ground, um, knowing what's, you know, what's around you, I think it helps, you know, as you said, like you, you're you're bringing the the um, the challenges and the the needs and wants of of the other engineers to the forefront. But also, I guess it, it helps you with that glue aspect of of your job as well, because then you're in tune with like, who knows what? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also it's it's it adds to like they trust me enough because I've like helped them somehow kind of thing. Like, yeah. how do you build trust? Especially like, um, and this was something which I think was uh, something that I had to learn when I moved uh, to the Lego Group because um, at the at the Financial Times I moved through like different roles and I started as a junior uh, i started as a qa lead and then moved on to like um tech leading and then slowly into being a principal engineer where people have seen how i contribute and what my opinions are about stuff so they already know about me and they trust me enough based on what i've uh, delivered where when i started here it was completely different where like some people trust i mean there's a there's an inherent trust that you get because you're in a role but other yeah. than that, there's, there's not trust that they believe you, you've done that thing. That's why I, I trust you. So right. um, how do you generate that quick trust among um, your peers and people who you work with is like something that I had to learn as part of joining the Lego group. And I mean, there's probably um, like uh, something that the Lego group is really good at, which is that open culture of you can just go and talk to people, like uh, understand where they're coming from. And then um, like, it's one of those places where I felt it's easy to dip it, but then at the end conclude somewhere. Right, right. That's so cool um, because I, I think, you know, I think you touched on, on, on something like really interesting because, you know, I think one of the hardest parts about joining a new organization is having to build up that reputation, that trust, so that people see that, you know, like you're, you're, you're worth the paycheck you're earning. And that can be really scary, right? Because you've got that ramp of time where you got to like figure out the landscape, but mm. then at the same time, you have to have some level of productivity so that people are like, okay, I know yeah. I can go to her. I trust her. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I kind of, uh, I spoke about this in a conference recently as well at the Lead Dev uh, in London, where uh, I talked about these different um, sizes of problems as a principal engineer that you should be thinking of. So there's the whole, um, uh, and I like uh, an analogy that I learned from my uh, previous manager was um, this, um, the rock pebbles and the sand where if you fill your jar with um, sand first then you have no space for the pebbles and the rock so when you start in a new organization the first thing worth doing is understanding what those sand are what those rocks are what the pebbles are um, that you can be getting yourself involved in but being very conscious about what you can pick up but because if you end up picking all of the sand then you're doing all of those little changes, but nothing's like, it doesn't justify the salary you uh, get. Yeah. So how do you then rebalance to make sure there's enough rocks that you work on and pebbles and stuff? So yeah, yeah something that, that you consciously think about. 
That's a really great analogy. It's, a, it's the first time I've heard that, but that's uh, that's really good. Um, the other the other thing that you touched upon that I want to dig a little bit deeper into, uh, which I thought was is something that um, you know we. So there, there. I, I think like in in a lot of tech circles, there's ex- this expectation that you know if you move into a management role, that is equivalent to like a leadership role. Um, and that management is like a natural promotion cycle for, you know, whatever. Um, I, I definitely had that impression. Like when I started my career, I'm like, oh yeah, I need, I need to be a manager. I can't be a developer my whole life. No. Um, and, but the, the thing that I thought that was really cool about what you said is that even as, you know, in your position as a principal engineer, Mm -hmm. as an individual contributor, Mm. You're not managing people, but you have a very prominent leadership position. And I think that's such an important thing to underscore because I think a lot of people conflate like, oh, the only way to be a leader is by having a management position. Yeah. Uh, And I kind of like doing this role now for two years, I think I found that um, like this is indirect leadership where you don't actually manage people, but you still have an influence on like what happens within an organization. And when you're having that indirect leadership, it's all about like um, how you bring along people on the journey and how, how do they like for me, when I'm working on a tech strategy or any of those things, it's the day when I hear other people tell that this is the tech strategy that we've got within our org that is the day I feel like I've actually done my job because mm-hmm. um, that's my role where I've influenced people enough that they have bought into it, that they call it out as the thing that needs to happen and stuff. So um, yeah. it's very different to like, if I was managing people, I could say um, you report to me and if you didn't do this, then we will have to go through um, um, all of the uh, like uh, people management side of things, which is yeah. I have none of those to do. Uh, so it's yeah. like you do have, you do get the best parts of management, I think, being an individual contributor and like influencing the rest of the org where you're like bringing people along and like, uh, but at the same time, um, I do work very closely with the senior directors um, who actually have the management responsibility of these orgs where um, like if I see things moving slowly, I kind of lean on them saying, can you, help nudge this happen or like can you help make this happen within the organization and they surely have uh, the direct influence which I don't but like you have to use that levers at times but yeah at least 80% of the time you can get away without that so yeah 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 and I I think that's uh that that's an extremely important uh and useful skill to have no matter what right to be able to exert influence so like for for you like how you know what what's your what what's your strategy in terms of like exerting influence like how how do you make it work because i mean it's so difficult right especially when you're 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 dealing with all kinds of people people who are like oh this is the best idea ever and then there's the nope i don't care i don't like your idea i'm not yeah. gonna do it <laughs> um i mean it it happens and like i think this is where like it's the um, carrot and the stick kind of approach where mm-hmm. you show the carrots and then uh, there are p- uh, times when uh, you like a lot of the work that I do is talking about why it's important to do certain thing in a certain way or like if you're saying like recently I was working on like the um, what are guardrails around PII data handling is and mm-hmm. like 
getting the right people involved. So it was not just engineers' opinions, but getting people from legal and like uh, privacy office involved in that des- decision making from the start. So we're not bringing them later on, but uh, when we thought about this is an idea that we should do something about bring people on early so they feel like they have contributed into it and they have a stake in it um which sometimes can be hard given like everyone's got busy lives and uh, there's like a lot of people working on product teams are thinking about oh this is my okr that i have to deliver to and all of those kind of things so like taking away from that is what a lot of principal engineers will have to do where we say oh that is important but in in the next quarter if we did this this will make your life easy like just showing that futuristic view of what will yeah. benefit them um and also like uh, in a lot of times it's about uh, coaching and mentoring people through like um if you contributed through this process then you can get into like as you develop like engineering management is not just the option you can also think about ic roles like like we have as principal engineers and stuff um and when it all fails that's when it's probably just uh, getting back to the um people leaders of these uh, people who are troublemakers are they troublemakers i don't know <laughs> um and then uh, getting them to help a bit more and like uh, and this is where like uh, i kind of see that relationship between the like senior directors and principal engineers being really close where uh, yeah. we work quite um like if we have to um influence without authority we need their support when that authority is needed yeah yeah absolutely yeah and i mean sometimes it's it's one of those things where you you can't and probably shouldn't handle all the all the issues yourself anyway so it's good to like know who you can call on to to ask for help to ask for the little nudge to get people around to your corner i mean i yeah. think that's also like an aspect of influence right is uh having like a circle of people who trust that you know what you're doing and will follow you mm. um because they they like your leadership and mm. then they can also exert their influence to influence others yeah because they believe in what you do yeah. which is super cool uh, i've also like used other principal engineers across the organization as a support network because like um the kinds of problems i work with are not within my own product area scope it can also like span across multiple product areas or like multiple we call it clusters within the lego group um so when there are things spanning across clusters i kind of lean on the other principal engineers and we work together uh, so that it's more of like it's not her opinion it's the company's opinion kind right. of comes in uh, which also is quite handy to have in in places when you have to influence people where they don't come within your part of the organization they have no clue where you sit in the organization they've not worked with you so they don't trust you enough so in those kind yeah. of cases it's worth like calling in on your support network outside of your immediate organization and stuff Yeah, and it makes sense because again it helps to build that trust because it doesn't seem then like oh you have an agenda. No, like there are other people who like see this in the same in the same way. So hey, maybe there's something to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like um I think a good thing that the Lego group uh, that I've seen at the Lego group is that we have some core principles that have been outlined at the start of this whole digital transformation. Like I mentioned about the 
the domain-driven uh, principles that we follow, or it could be that um, API-first kind of approach, or like the cloud cloud-first kind of um, uh, so on. So those, I think, the core principles that we've laid out forms like that foundation that we can like lean on quite heavily when when it comes to okay, I'm lost here. What do I fall back on? I can fall back on those like core principles, and they're not special for the Lego group. So it, you can read about it in like like how other companies are doing to yeah. actually learn from it, and then um, it's a good like safety net to have when you're especially when you're starting new in an organization having that kind of a foundation layer that you can fall back on and stuff is quite handy as well and it's also like when they're stuck in those scenarios where you have an argument you can then go back to the first principles and talk about okay what what does theory say and then yeah. work back work forward from that kind of thing yeah yeah makes a lot of sense um, now, going back to uh, something that you mentioned earlier, which mm. is, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you don't get to do a whole lot of coding as, as part of your role, but you still like to stay sharp. So what do you what do you do to, to stay sharp with your with your coding skills? Um, kind of your go to thing. Yeah, I, I think more lately what I've done is um, uh, like within the principal engineers group, we have like a working group where we do hands on work like we've set up like a, a couple of hours every week where we just do some hands-on work. So, so the most recent one was we, we were all learning Gen AI and uh, learning didn't mean just go read stuff, but actually like build something. And we did more yeah. like a hackathon kind of style thing, but we're not spending like a day. It's just a couple of hours each week. Um, yeah. And I think like that's how I've like, for me, that's the easiest way to keep on top and also like feel like, I'm staying uh, up to date um, and also like um, that, like uh, avoiding that imposter syndrome to kick in as well. You're like, oh, am I, am I current? Am, am I what uh, trustworthy enough? So I, I kind of use those hands-on sessions that we've got internally where I spend a couple of hours each week, just, uh, just coding anything. And currently yeah. given the like, uh, uh, Gen AI seems to be like the current hot topic. So that's one area. And the other area is around, um, I haven't worked much in the data space uh, and a lot of teams that I'm currently working with work with data a lot. So this is where some of the Python skills does come in quite handy, which is um, just trying how to crunch data with um, like uh, Python and that kind of stuff. So it's always related to what I'm working on, but um, yeah. with a slight slant on like nothing related to what the Lego group needs, just what I need to keep myself updated kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That That is such a great way to, to stay current. I it, It's funny because I was telling someone the other day that like I... My last role, I was a manager, um, mm -hmm. but I don't feel whole unless I'm coding. Yeah. Um, so like, even in that role, I would like carve out some time in my week to make mm -hmm. sure that I was learning new things because otherwise I legitimately got depressed and yeah. I wasn't creating something. Um, yeah. And I think, I think if you're, if you're a software engineer, it's just kind of part of your blood. So to exactly. be able to find, um, to find find any excuse to learn something cool yeah. and to get that hands-on experience and to like learn something that's actually interesting mm. uh, so that it'll like stick in your mind more. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I think um, another thing that I remembered was um, like when 
I attend conferences if there's like an interesting piece of technology I would have seen. Um, that's another place where I just go and play around with that for a few days. And like that's like conferences are my trigger to play around with a few technologies as well. So I kind of make my make sure I attend a few just so that yeah. that becomes like the reason why I'm trying out uh, stuff. So like we have to uh, like at the end of the day, it's how we manage our time and like uh, we are at a stage like we are our own time leaders of our own time right so yeah. we have to see how we manage it and um yeah uh, carving out time is so important especially as you grow in your career you can you can go into that thing of i'm busy so i can't learn yeah uh, it's a very easy vicious cycle to go into but yeah um staying like aware of it, I think is quite good. Yeah. And I, and, and like you said, carving out the time is super important and, and not using like, as you just said, being busy as an excuse. Cause like, I remember an instance in when I was um, doing the management role where I was like getting really frustrated because we had like these no meeting Wednesdays. Mm. And, and so that was like my day to play around with stuff. Right. Yeah. But then like, I kept booking meetings on my no meeting Wednesdays. So I had nobody to blame for myself. So until yeah. I took control of my calendar and started saying no, like, because I mean, people would book meetings on Wednesdays and I kept saying yes. Yeah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. It's very easy to do it. And I think uh, I had a colleague uh, at the Financial Times who she had a, um, she had like a tally chart that she used to uh, maintain for the month to just see how many days of just coding she'd done. And it was so interesting to see how you can put some data behind this. And it's not it's not too hard to do it. Like if I did some, some if I wrote some code or if I read some code today, then I just put a, a like it's a tiny chart. You just put a, a line on a book, right? So, um, and like she kind of said that that was really like motivating her to keep true to, coding always uh, or like doing something hands-on doesn't have to yeah be yeah exactly yeah. ultimately i mean what we do is a very creative line of work and i think as creators we like to create and it makes us whole yeah that's so true awesome well we are coming up on time but before mm. we part ways um are there any parting words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience today um I'm trying to prioritize in my head which one's the better one. Um, I think um, I'll probably go to a one which um, we are in, you know, a macroeconomic situation where um, everything's getting tight and there are companies that are struggling. And like, for me, this is a time when engineering efficiency and like thinking about like how we um, uh, build our build more sustainable um, uh, products becomes quite important. So I think thinking about um, engineering efficiencies and um, like um, trying to I mean and, and not in a sense of like I'm going to measure the four Dora metrics or not that way, but more of what can make my software more sustainable? What can, what can I do to make it more maintainable? And so that I don't have to put energy once I've built those uh, products and stuff is probably the key thing that like it's top of my mind at the moment. And I think it will 
be more uh it's going to take a larger space next year when we don't know where the world is going and stuff yeah so very true i think those are really great words of wisdom well thank you so much nayana for geeking out with me today y'all don't forget to subscribe and be sure to check the show notes for additional resources and to connect with us and our guests on social media until next time peace out and geek out Geeking Out is hosted and produced by me, Adriana Villela. I also compose and perform the theme music on my trusty clarinet. Geeking Out is also produced by my daughter, Hannah Maxwell, who incidentally designed all of the cool graphics. Be sure to follow us on all the socials by going to bento.me slash geekingout.